What makes a good merino sheep to you? Is it an animal that reaches its potential quickly or a slower burner that matures later? And how do dual purpose sheep compare with heavier cutting animals over time? Well, there are many ideas and ideals in the wool industry when it comes to breeding and the AWI Merino Lifetime Productivity Project is slowly but surely putting fact from fiction in this regard. Let's dive into this unique project and the key Macquarie site at Trangy, New South Wales that's unlocking these exact questions. Welcome to The Yarn. It's a podcast for the wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. So the AWI-funded MLP project is a $13 million, 10-year venture between AWI, the Australian Merino Sire Evaluation Association, or AMPSIA, nominating stud merino breeders and five sites across Australia. The project is tracking the lifetime performance of 5,700 ewes as they proceed through four to five joinings and annual shearings. So ewes are annually classed, visually scored and measured for a wide range of attributes to create a unique and extensive data set of close to 2 million data points. It's why it's been dubbed the world's biggest sheep experiment. Three of the five sites have now completed their lifetime data collection, with just two sites remaining, the Macquarie site at Trangy and the New England site, both in New South Wales. So in this episode of The Yarn, we're catching up with the Macquarie site ahead of their final field day on March 29. The site is hosted by New South Wales DPI in partnership with the Macquarie Sire Evaluation Association. So the site sets itself apart from others by way of sheep type. One bloodline is a heavy cutting merino type that averages between 20.5 and 21.5 micron. The other is an all-purpose merino type that averages between 18 and 18.5. So the interaction and performance of the two types is being measured over time using the 31 size at the site and whether our current selection tools account for type differences. So to tell us more, we're joined by the site chair Matthew Coddington, the site's professional class are Chris Bowman, New South Wales DPI researcher Dr Sue Mortimer and long-term MLP supporter Graham Wells, who has one very compelling reason why you should come to this last field day. Because once this is gone, it's the last opportunity to see in that western type area and address all the issues that they're questioning both at the commercial level and also stud level. And there's a lot to learn on the day of those skin types and the cause and effects that can, can have. So I think that um, the industry should be out there and coming to see that day on the 29th of March. It's uh, quite amazing. That, uh, it, it, it's sort of a... The, the more we uh, are finding out, um, the, the more we're realising what a jigsaw puzzle um, the Merino is and what amazing possibilities are there. Um, Chris Bowman, I understand that um, the Macquarie ewes were penned by U-Type at an earlier field day. Um, what were your observations back then and what do you expect people will see on the 29th when the progeny will be penned by Sire and U-Type again? Oh, it'll be uh, pretty fascinating, I think, because last time we did it, um, I actually had Anne Ramsey uh, walking around with me and we were taking notes and uh, it was just interesting to see those. I've actually got some notes in front of me now. There's three sires at the adult um, at the third shearing that um, incidentally didn't have ASBVs, but uh, they were the heaviest cutting sires at that third shearing, or their progeny were. Um, and... 
putting those heavier cutting rams over those heavier type skin skin type ewes, which is um, as you would imagine, uh, some of them were a little bit heavy. So a little bit more wool around the face um, than what stud breeders would expect to happen because uh, stud breeders actually would would select a plainer type of ewe with a longer staple for those type of rams. So um, it was just interesting to see uh, that some of those sheep were over wool, putting heavy heavy skinned sheep over heavy skinned sheep, but obviously putting a heavier skinned uh, ram over the plainer dual purpose type ewe that Matthew mentioned, uh, the, the progeny were very outstanding, very, very... You know, they'd lifted, uh, visually, they'd look like they'd lifted wool cup or a good type of sheep. Um, and, you know, that's why stud breeders uh, talk about type when they're breeding animals, not so much just the the data. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I know Anne was certainly um, blown away by the, by the different types and uh, how important it was to actually, you know, uh, be selecting the, the sheep for when you're joining a particular type of ram so that you're actually using the data with uh, the actual um, visual uh, attributes of that particular ram. Thank you for that insight. And that's a, yeah, a fascinating look into those two types and uh, what appeared to be the, the hybrid vigour that came from that. Um, Dr Sue Mortimer, you'll be presenting at the field day about the effect of the U-types on side performance. Uh, can you tell us a bit about the analysis so far and perhaps any findings you might um, have come to from that from those predictions? Uh, yes, Maurice, I, I will. Um, what, what we've done with the data, and as um, Matthew and um, Graham, Chris pointed out, um, the, the two U-types have been mated to, to each of the sites. So what we're doing for, for, for each of the traits, be it fibre diameter, be it a fleece weight, is for each bloodline to treat it as a separate trait, similarly to as you would treat, say, um, fleece weight and body weight. So what um, we then do is just analyse separately um, um, each trait um, for each bloodline, fitting uh, a model to estimate the SIO means, accounting for environmental effects such as birth type and rearing type. We then estimate the correlation between the SIO means for each bloodline. With this estimate, we're able to, to get an estimate of the correlation between the performances in each of the bloodlines. So just um, the relationship between the sire progeny performances in each of those bloodlines. Our findings to date have um, covered the visual wool traits, body weight and body composition, ultrasound, bone muscle death, ultrasound fat death across uh, post-weaning, hogget and adult ages. For those particular analyses, um, for example, for wool colour, stable structure, wool character and body wrinkle, we found that the correlations between the um, sire performances in each of the bloodlines have been greater than, than um, 0.90. So that is showing that when the sires were joined to VZU's bloodlines, the progenies generally ma- maintain their ranking across, across these visual, visual traits and across the um, VU bloodlines. So at the moment for the visual traits, um, there is little evidence of re-ranking of size across U, U bloodlines. This is a similar case for the body composition, composition trays and body weights. The correlations were, were, were very high at 0.90 at yielding and hogget weight, a little bit lower at adult assessment, um, but that's the first adult assessment as well. 
So again, there appears to be a little re-ranking of size um, progeny groups across the different U types. So far for reproduction, we've only looked at one drop, the 2017 drop, and it, at its maiden joining only. The correlations there were 0.8 for number of lambs born, a little bit higher at 0.9 for number of lambs weaned. But we do, and, and we are in the process of looking at the further performances in the reproduction traits, both drops at the maiden joining and then at, at their um, next joining as well. It's very important to look at um, the reproduction traits because that's where hybrid vigor has been shown to, to occur for, for reproduction traits. So I'm expecting that we, we should be seeing some evidence of possibly more re-ranking of a size for the reproduction traits. For the measured fleece traits, we've only looked at um, this question from an interaction of sire by U bloodline, and we, we generally found no effect there. But again, we need to look at um, the later assessments, hogged age and adult age, which um, I think will be very interesting to see what, what is happening there. So, yes, sir, and obviously you'll be presenting in depth on the day as well. So um, what, what a fascinating look into um, what's been going on. And we have uh, such a, a depth of experience on this podcast when it comes to sheep breeding. So we should get a few observations of uh, what people have found. Matthew, to you first, what sort of things have you been hoping to get from this MLP site? And adding that to what Sue has found, uh, what have you learned so far? Basically, the importance of the Moreno Lifetime Project, the reason why we started was to nut out whether some sheep were one-hit wonders or, or if sheep were slow burners. And what, what it is finding that it's through measuring sheep over the period of their lifetimes, we've got some sheep that got out of blocks quite fast with reproduction, fleece weight and things like that. And it's taken to the last final shearing and the last final weaning for some of these sheep that started on top have sort of peaked quite early and then plateaued out. And then some sheep that got out of the blocks really, really slow, matured slow, and then funnily enough at the end of the project they, you might have those two extreme sires have cut the same amount of wool, have weaned the same amount of lambs, and it's taken till the last joining. It just shows the importance of measuring sheep over their lifetime and that not getting caught up in some of the hype and and I guess innuendo you get out of some of these early maturing sheep. And it's actually, I think, when we get these results out and we actually start to really go through the data, it's going to debunk a lot of myths of sheep breeding that we've currently had going around industry at the moment. And I think it's going to break some myths. So I think it'd be really exciting when we see all this data come out and start to be presented to growers around Australia in the next couple of years. Graham Wells, uh, let's let's hear from you. We'll hear from Chris Bowman in a second. But Graham, as someone who has also had a lot to do with this yeah, uh, project, what what are your observations? Matthew covered a lot of it. I think uh, early stage, way back when we first started, there was a lot of talk about the fact that those that didn't measure couldn't quite match those that were using index breeding and that sort of thing. I think as it's moved on, everyone's aware that. The good breeders are breeding good sheep, no matter what philosophy they're using, and it's pretty clear that that's so. 
And so I think that what will be interesting for me is to see then the cost of how that works um, for the whole industry, especially the commercial breeders who have a class that's come. And I think that it's been in the surveys that there's not everyone in the commercial world do a class their sheep. But this is showing very clearly that the classes can class them early stage and get it out very accurately, especially for a commercial breeder. And I think that that's one of the areas for me that's going to be a real big help to the commercial breeder have confidence in the professional classes or this, whether it's a stud breeder or their own, uh, where they buy the sheep from, rams from, does it, or whether it's professional. But that's the area that I think that will be shown to be a very cost-effective way for the commercial breeders. Stud breeders, it's a different thing. I think they are uh, possibly, it's their responsibility to uh, whether they use full measurements or whatever, but beyond ways of handling their ways of keeping costs down by measurements, but this was, gives all the different variations of ways that can be done and which is cost-effective, and everyone will use it whatever way they want to. And so today... I'm saying that everyone to come along, have a look at training, because all the types are there, and to uh, get involved in just learning more about what's happening out there in that field. What a very interesting answer. Thank you very much, Graham. It sounds like it's uh, uh, it's been a great coming together of all different types of breeding techniques and philosophies. Uh, Chris Bowman, what would you like to add to what Graham and Matthew had to say? I'd probably just like to congratulate... Uh Matt Coddington for a start for being the chair of Trangy and um, it's been very, very well run. <clears throat> and um, obviously Catherine Edison Warburton had a lot to do with it and Tracy Bird Gardner running it now physically. <clears throat> I'd like to thank the staff, the people I've worked with uh, and continue to work with. Um, Trangy's very well run. Um, Anne Ramsey and Emma Grabham have had a lot to do with it as well but it's, uh, and obviously Sue Morda, but we've, we've had... Um, it's been very well run, and to get that repeatability of data, accurate data is very, very important. Um, for me, it's the re- repeatability of the measured traits that are important. What what we used to say which was an animal to actually breed on, uh, to re- reproduce himself and to improve, uh, find those animals. We've obviously got a broad cross-section of size, as Matthew said, over 30 rams involved in that trial. So there's a lot of uh, information that's there, and... Um, that you know to find out those trait heritability, heritabilities and correlations in the future. There's been a lot of money spent on rams recently, uh, premium being paid for fat and eye muscle, and um, I think it'll be interesting to find out if we go along those next generations of sheep to see what correlation there is fat and eye muscle to lambs uh, on the ground. It's been wonderful to be involved and I've enjoyed the classing and with Bill Walker and um, yeah, I think you know we've been in, involved in other sites and I think it's uh, proved that um, you know sheep passing is an inexpensive way to be able to select sheep for the long term and and obviously as rams are sold as tutus, the most important thing is that uh, we're trying to find out how those rams or those bloodlines are going to perform as older sheep and that's where it'll really affect the commercial breeder is to know that when he's going to those particular studs or bloodlines, he's going to have sheep that are producing well up until four or five-year-olds. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for those observations. And what a colossal amount of work these sites have been and what a massive resource, not just now but into the future. And, Sue, you're very much part of uh, teasing 
out the data. Um, would you have anything to add in terms of the analysis of, uh, of the data that you're seeing and from what you've heard from our three other speakers? I, I would add that it's, this is a, a marvellous data set and at the more formal genetic evaluations conducted by Merino Select, um, the analyses should certainly address enhancing that and making sure that it, it, it is able to account for all the different influences on, on, on Merino performances, that it, it reflects accurately the, the generic merit of, of animals um, that are available to, to the industry. So um, it's an exciting time. Um, uh, a lot of work have had uh, quite a few analysts, people at AGBU, and, and hopefully um, others like myself can contribute to, to the analysis. So we're looking very, very much forward to um, participating and, 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 and working um, uh, not only with uh, colleagues in, in the analysis but also with the interpretation of the data as well because um, it's not just the numbers but being able to, to interpret them appropriately and, and meaningfully for industry. Indeed. And I uh, wonder in the future if we'll look back on this and, uh, and look at the MLP as a sort of a landmark project. It, maybe it's the sheep equivalent of landing on the moon. <laughs> it, it was the start of something, something new. Matthew, tell us a bit about why people should come to this day. It is the last of its type. Um, tell us about what people can expect to see. Okay, so the last MLP field day, as I said before, will be held on Wednesday the 29th of March at the Tringy Research Station. And it'll be the last chance to view the daughters of the 31 inch size that have been measured, classed, scored and joined through their lifetime at the site. The ewes will be pan side by side within their sire group and within their ewe bloodline group. So basically we're going to have 31 sires but 62 pens of sheep as they fit into their ewe bloodline groups. We've got a great lineup of speakers um, which will discuss the impact of ewe type on sire results as we've been discussing. We're going to compare Merino Lifetime Project breeding values with um, Australian sheep breeding values and outline some of the MLP analysis, some of the next steps that we're going to go through with our analysis. And then we do our usual pen side sire introductions, which have all been popular at our previous field days. And um, this will be preceded by a panel of classes that will outline how they've been classing in the MLP project. Uh, there's going to be plenty of time to inspect the use on the day and We'll be following by an industry dinner at the Narromine RSL afterwards. Um, for anyone interested in coming, please register through Eventsbrite and also let us know if you'd like to be brought from Dubbo to the Trini Research Station on a bus and then dinner back to Dubbo so you can have um, plenty of celebration and um, I'll be driving the bus, so there'll be bus karaoke and everything going on. So great day and a great night to be had by all. <laughs> well, you've been driving the bus on a few um, uh, in, in a few aspects of this. I'm, I'm also impressed that this week you've been to Ed Sheeran and you've been cheering. So, tell, so Matthew, just to, to wrap it up, um, just in terms of uh, the MLP data that's been collected, when... When is, when is it likely to be published? The last 
two sites will be collected. So at Macquarie site, we'll finish collecting in October 2023 and the New England site will follow in July 2024. So when these two sites finish up, that wraps up the MLP measurements. There's been nearly 2 million data points of measurements at all the sites across Australia. And then um, after this, there's obviously all the analysis, all of the Australian Wool Innovation Extension activities that that will follow with all that. So um, you haven't heard the last of it yet. It's actually just getting to that real pointy end where there's a ream of information that needs to be analysed um, and then put out to industry. And then obviously we need as much feedback from industry for what information they would like provided to them from this analysis and reporting that we're doing from the Merino Lifetime Project. Macquarie MLP Site Chair Matthew Coddington, the site's professional classer Chris Bowman, New South Wales DPI researcher Dr Sue Mortimer and long-term MLP supporter Graham Wells there. But I'd also like to thank MLP Project Manager Anne Ramsey for her work on this enormous project and herding everyone together for this podcast. Please head to wool.com slash events to book your place at the field day and the dinner on March 29. It's going to be a fantastic day. But from me, Marius Cumming, thanks for having a yarn with us.